Hey girl, welcome to Christian Girls Pop. My name is Stephanie Bright and I'm the founder of this girls group as well as your host for the podcast. Around here, we are all about purpose, obedience, and prayer. That's what makes us pop. You're guaranteed to laugh, cry, learn, grow, and most importantly, become more like Jesus. We're going to rock this thing out and we're going to have fun doing it. You ready? Let's go. Hey girl, and welcome back to another episode of Christian Girls Pop. We are in week 49 of our Bible reading plan, so close to the end. This is exciting. And for week 49, we are studying the God who can't be stopped, period. Period. The God who can't be stopped. You will see exactly what I mean when we read through the scriptures this week. So as you know, we're very close to the end. We're only a couple of weeks away from finishing up the year. And then we'll be going into 2023 and starting again. And if, if you want to continue reading the word of God, maybe you started this plan halfway through or you really like the plan. You just want to go more in depth or whatever the case is. I want to encourage you to check out my latest ebook my baby that I released into the world. My baby's name is Scripture Made Simple. And it's an ebook that allows you to not just read, but it helps you to understand and apply the Word of God to your life. The full title of the book is Scripture Made Simple equipping women with the knowledge of scripture. This allows you to be able to not just read, just to read, or just to say, yep, I did it, but that you can really understand. My heart behind the word of God is I know how powerful it is. I know how equipped you are when you know what the word of God says and you renew your mind with that instead of the lies of the world. I know how families can be transformed if they live by biblical principles. I know how marriages can thrive if they b- abide by how God has ordained marriage to be, so on and so forth. I know that just so much can be changed. And I tell people that revival will begin and the world will be flipped upside down when women really grasp and understand the knowledge of scripture. I want to encourage you though, that it doesn't have to be this super overwhelming, crazy concept that you're just like, I have no idea what's happening. As you've been listening to the audio each week, as I do the recap teachings, this should help you to understand that I want to make it simple for you. And that's why I've titled the scripture made simple. This allows you to understand that you can be a ordinary woman and really be equipped with the knowledge of scripture. You don't have to have a degree. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't even have to have a high school degree. Like I can help you to understand this thing. And so you don't even have to have a high school diploma, girl, like Seriously, I want you to know that the word of God is for everyone and it's not excluding anyone, regardless of your upbringing, your background, so on and so forth. So this is why I've created this resource. You can find it by clicking the link in the podcast notes or by going to our website, christiangirlspop.com slash scripture made simple. You can get your copy and there's several packages that you can check out. You can just get the ebook. You can also, my favorite one is the social package. So you can get the ebook, but you also get access to a group chat where you are able to go through the Bible all year long with sisters who are also doing the same. They'll keep each other encouraged accountable all the things and we will really grow in the knowledge of scripture so want you to check that out and get your copy before the new year starts and even after the new year starts get your copy anyway you can always start it at any time so i encourage you to do that scripture made simple and come study with us next year 
Also, along with that, if you're going to be hanging out on our website, girl, might as well sign up for our newsletter if you haven't already. It's just a newsletter. Go straight to your email each week. It helps you to keep up to date with all the stuff that we got going on each week. There's We got a lot. And for next year, we have some amazing stuff coming out. Very excited to share that with y'all. But you may not know if you don't get the newsletter. So make sure you check that out. Now, before we get into this week's teaching, y'all know, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for allowing us to get to this point in our Bible reading plan. I thank you for those who have been consistent or even if they've fallen off, but they've decided to pick it back up and the desire is back. I thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you bring this word to life so that we can understand it. Give us imagery, give us vision of what we're reading so that we really can visualize it and and be able to understand how we fit into all of this, how this applies to us. Let it not just be words that we're reading, but words that we will receive, hear, understand, and apply to our lives. Lord, we thank you for your word that is alive and very much powerful. We thank you that it is truth. We thank you that it gives us hope, encouragement, and all that we need. Anything else will fail us, but the word of God will always remain. So I thank you, God, for that. I pray that you just be with us in this time. Give us wisdom, clarity, and understanding so that we can live in application. We thank you so much, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, week 49, we are going to be going through day 338 through day 344. And for day 338, which is December 4th, the reading is Nehemiah chapter 11 and Acts chapter 23. So we're nearing the end of the book of Nehemiah, but we have a couple chapters left. So um, remember last week, Nehemiah comes, he helps the people, the exiles that have come back to Jerusalem. He helps them to rebuild the wall, kind of reestablish some things. And now he's kind of setting up some order to make sure things are in line. So in Nehemiah chapter 11, we read of the census and documentation of those who lived in Jerusalem. And um, it's exactly what you would imagine, a long list of names and a long list of people of who's living there. So that's what we're, it's, what we're seeing here in Nehemiah chapter 11. I know that it can be hard, but one of the challenges that I like to do when there's a bunch of names or genealogies is I challenge everyone to read every single name. Not that you have to pronounce it, but at least give it a look. Don't just skim down to the bottom of the page. Give them a look. And the main reason I say that is because this shows that every single name, every single person matters to God. And if it matters to God, it should matter to us. And we should also be encouraged in knowing that if it matters to God, that means that we matter to God too. So that's just a little tidbit, a little challenge of the day for you. In Acts chapter 23, we read of Paul addressing the Sanhedrin and then we read of a plot to kill Paul. And so we already know Paul is so bold, but we just see as God just keeps showing up in his life, even this Paul is just making these bold statements and these bold stands and he's not backing down. We see God's favor on Paul's life. He continues to spare his life, regardless of the plots that are sent his way, regardless of the attacks and the schemes of the enemy. And as I mentioned with Paul, he's kind of similar to Jesus. Obviously, we know he's not Jesus. He didn't die for our sins. But in the sense of how they tried to put Jesus on trial, but they couldn't find him guilty of anything. We see the same thing here with Paul. Like they keep trying to put him up like in jail and lock him up and all this stuff, but they can't find anything to accuse him of. And so we're just seeing that Paul is like, all right, I'm going to just keep doing what what I got to do. Y'all can't find nothing on me because he's not doing anything wrong. They just don't want to hear the gospel. They're rejecting Christ. And so they're trying to find a way to just shut up Paul. 
Moving on to day 339, which is December 5th, our reading is Nehemiah chapter 12 and 13 and Acts chapter 24. In Nehemiah chapter 12, we read of the list of Levites and priests, and we read of the dedication of the wall. So once again, a lot of um, different names that I would encourage you to read through. Give them a look, give them a glance, try to say their names. And then we read of the dedication of the wall. And this is similar to what we would see um, if you've ever gone to a church that they have a grand opening. They normally have a dedication service where they dedicate the temple to the Lord. Dedication was very common uh a very common ritual or ceremony um, in biblical days. And so they're dedicating the wall here in Nehemiah chapter 12. And it's just cool to just look at Nehemiah chapter 12 because it's like a moment of restoration after not being in the land, after not having joy in the land, after not really thriving. Now they're back. Now they have the wall. Now they have joy restored. And we can just see the restoration that was promised to them and that was prophesied. In Nehemiah chapter 13, the final chapter of Nehemiah, we read of some changes that he makes, some various reforms that he makes, and then um, he, he helps to just lead them into purification, cleansing themselves, purifying themselves. And there, this was more of like an outward thing that we're seeing here towards the end of Nehemiah chapter 13, but it's obviously symbolic of what has been occurring within the people as they've come back. Remember, now they're celebrating the feast. Now they're worshiping. Now they're making pacts with the Lord, making covenants with him. They've changed. And so this, this purification is more of an outward display of what has been happening within. Now in Acts chapter 24, we read of Paul defending his case and we read that Paul is put in prison for two years. Paul's bold enough to defend his faith. I mean, we expected nothing less of him, right? Like he's still showing up. He's defending his faith. We're still seeing the favor on Paul's life. And then Paul is in prison for two years. And here's the thing. When we're talking about the God who can't be stopped, there was so much. Paul was still writing letters. Like while he was in prison, some of the scripture, some of the books of the New Testament were written while Paul was in prison. And so it's just showing us that like they thought that they were able to just shut him up. But Paul was still getting God's message out. And God knew that. And that's why he gave it to he gave that assignment to Paul because he knew Paul would go hard for him. Remember, Paul was the same guy who was like, out here destroying all the Christians and persecuting them. But he knew, man, if he can go that hard for against me, he can go that hard for me too. And so now Paul is in prison, but still preaching the word of God, still giving out messages that as the Lord directs him to. So um, with today's reading, we finished Nehemiah, but we still have a couple more chapters left in Acts. Now for day 340, which is December 6th, we are starting a new book. We're starting Esther, which is a very popular woman in the Bible. There's only a handful that are really discussed in this much detail. So we read, we're reading going through the book of Esther and we read Esther 1 and 2 today in Acts chapter 25. So let's give an introduction about Esther. Esther comes right after Nehemiah and this book was the last of five books that was known as the five Megaloth or scrolls. And so these books will be read publicly at the major feast for the Jews. And this book specifically will be read at the feast of Purim, which is a commemoration of the great deliverance of the Jews that God used Esther to bring about. And that's still that's still used even to this day. So one very interesting thing about the book of Esther is that 
the word God is not mentioned in scripture in this book. Obviously, we can see his hand and all this. We can see his favor. We can see his sovereignty. And that's what makes this book really cool because you still see all of it, even though his name is not mentioned. But fun fact, you will not read the word God anywhere in these chapters. So essentially, God is going to... um arrange for Esther to be in a specific place at a specific time to save the entire Jewish race, which is a big deal, a super big deal. And um, it's just really cool that God uses a woman to do that, obviously, because I'm, you know, I'm a woman, I'm talking to women. And so um, this is very encouraging for us as we go to the scripture. A lot of people, like a lot of women like to talk about Esther. If you've been to a women's conference, they probably brought her up at some point. She's a great woman. And it's cool that, you know, there's not many books in the Bible that, ha that are named after a woman. So this is cool that this is one of them. So for Esther chapter one, we read of Vashti, who's the queen at the time, disobeying King Ahasuerus. I'm probably saying that wrong. Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus. I don't know. <laughs> Y'all, some of these names be getting me. Let's talk about it. So Queen Vashti, she's a queen at the time. She does not want to do a command of the king. She defies him. And now it's a problem because the queen, you know, just rebelled against the king. And if she's the model, if she's the example for all these women, then they're going to look at her and they'll be like, well, she did it to the king that I can do it to my husband, that I can do it to this person. I don't got to listen to them. So he decides Queen Vashti got to go. And now he needs a new queen. And that takes us to chapter two. So they have this big pageant, basically like a whole beauty pageant. They gather all the beautiful virgins in the land and they bring them and they basically have a beauty pageant. Like he, they literally walk before the king and he chooses who he wants. Esther stands out to him. And so uh, no one knows that she's a Jew. This is a very important thing to know. No one knows that she's a, she's a Jew, but she ends up crowned as queen. Right away, we can already just see God's favor because God is using someone who they don't even know who she really is to future down the road, save his people, which are technically her people. And this is why she has a heart to save the people, the Jews, because she is a Jew. So in chapters one and two, Vashti disobeys the king. He wants a new queen. Esther is crowned as the new queen. In Acts chapter 25, we just read of how Paul is brought before Festus and King Agrippa and Bernice arrive concerning Paul's case. So we're, they're really just going back and forth, really trying to figure out what they're going to do with Paul. Everyone's hearing him out. They're hearing what he has to say. Paul's a G. He's not backing down. No matter who comes, who goes, who's brought up, he still is just so steadfast. And this is such, such, such a great example of how we should be as Christians. We can't back down every time someone doesn't like what we're saying or someone doesn't believe what we're saying. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Christ. And we have to just keep going hard. No matter what came Paul's way, he still showed up every time. He did not miss at all. He came through. He said what needed to be said. He did it back away. And that's an amazing, amazing example that we can see here in scripture. Moving on to day 341, which is December 7th. The reading is Esther chapter 3, 4, and 5, Psalm chapter 10, and Acts chapter 26. In Esther chapter 3, we read of Haman's plot against the Jews. So Haman is one of the king's officials and he does not like the Jews. He does not want them to live. And he decides he's going to try to annihilate the entire human race of Jews. Like what? He, he, he puts his mind to it and he decides he's going to do that. So Mordecai, he's not bowing down to the king. He's a devout Jew. He, he is honoring God. And so him and Esther are actually cousins. Now, a lot of people may refer to uh, Mordecai as her 
as as her uncle just because of like how she like kind of had like she kind of like submitted to him a little bit and so he had like a little bit of authority over her so it was more of like uncle to cu- uncle to niece type relationship but technically they're cousins so he's going to play a very key role in this story as well and so Haim is just plotting up a storm he figures out how he's going to do it and then if we go to chapter four now Mordecai is pleading for Esther's help Mordecai finds out find out what Haman is trying to do he's grieving he's mourning he's trying to he's in despair about this and he goes to Esther and he's like hey like you need to be the one to save these people and this verse uh this chapter has one of the most popular verses um that are that is in Esther or that is regarded about Esther and it's just a pretty popular verse in the Bible overall chapter 4 verse 14 it says as uh, Mordecai asking Esther who knows if you were placed in the kingdom for such a time as this and so that for such a time as this is what's the most popular part of that verse and it's just showing that Esther is divinely appointed for this assignment Mordecai knew that God would do God would save his people he knew that he would come through somehow and he realizes Esther is the way Esther is how God is going to save the Jews and so she's a little squeamish about it because she knows that she's going to have to make some bold stands and possibly put herself in danger because what she's going to have to do is approach the king and try to speak on behalf of the Jews but you can't approach the king unless you're called so basically she was going to be breaking protocol just to save the Jews and so she's nervous about it but Mordecai is like hey if you don't do it you're going to be destroyed and so Bo- Esther gets some boldness in her. She begins to fast. She orders some people to fast with her. And she decides that she's going to be the one to stand in the gap and save the Jews. So that's chapter three and four. Now to chapter five, this is how Esther begins to save the Jews. So Esther, Queen Esther, she hosts a banquet. And she invites the king and Haman, which is the king's official, the one who is plotting against the Jews. One all right off the back when we read chapter five we read of the favor that she has because she wasn't even called before the king but he didn't like hurt her or anything he allowed her to come in and speak meanwhile Haman's trying to kill Mordecai for not obeying and not bowing down and and he's you know he's trying to kill all the Jews as quick as he can and so he's trying to plot against Mordecai Esther's plotting against the king and Haman and it's juicy y'all it's like a it's literally a reality show right now and so Haman, he's sitting there at the banquet. He thinks he's invincible. He thinks he's untouchable. He's so unaware and unsuspecting of Esther's plan, Queen Esther's plan. He doesn't realize it's about to go down for him real quick. Now, in Psalm chapter 10, which is also part of the reading for the day, we read of the prayer for justice against the wicked. And so this is congruent with what we're reading in Esther chapter 3 because we read about the wicked schemes. We read of how they murder the innocent. And that's very congruent with what we're reading in Esther. They're scheming. They're plotting against the Jews. Haman is plotting against Mordecai. We're seeing that congruency here between the scriptures. And then for our New Testament reading, we have Acts chapter 26. Remember, Paul is still defending his case. And this chapter continues that he makes his Paul makes his defense to Agrippa. And then he goes and preaches the gospel to Agrippa as well. Once again, Paul shares the testimony of his conversion. And, you know, there's still opposition of him preaching the gospel, but he just keeps coming back, being bold about it. Paul is just still using every opportunity he can to spread the gospel, which is just really, really cool to see. Moving on to day 342, which is December 8th. The reading is Esther chapter 6 and 7, Psalm chapter 9, and Acts chapter 27. In Esther chapter 6, we read of Mordecai being honored by King Ahasuerus. 
And it's because the king finds out that Mordecai was had actually done things to spare the king's life that were never told, that was never told to the king. Now notice the timing of everything. Haman thought that he was about to kill Mordecai, but actually Mordecai is about to be honored and Haman's going to be the one killed. Spoiler alert, I just ruined it just a little bit for y'all. But he really thought he was going to kill Mordecai, but Mordecai was actually being honored by the king. And so Haman is just really setting this up. And so Haman is just continuing to scheme and plot and not realizing he is messing himself up. And then in, ha in Esther chapter 7, sure enough, Haman is hanged, ordered by the king. Esther straight calls Haman out. She like rats him out and was like, he's trying to kill these people. And it's just so funny. Like, look how the enemy's plans got changed. Look how it got turned on him while he thought he was really out here thriving. He didn't even know he was setting himself up for straight failure. And y'all, this is exactly how the enemy works. If you go back, this is how this is how exactly how God comes through every time. Remember, we're talking about the God who can't be stopped. He can't be stopped. His favor can't be stopped. His purpose and will can't be stopped. No matter how hard people try to 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 thwart the plans of God, like he he's God. Like you can't stop him. Period. It reminds me of my favorite verse, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. The enemy meant this for evil, but God turned it for good. We're, that was about Joseph and his brothers, but that applies to so many other situations, including this one here. In Psalm chapter 9, we read of praise and thanks for God's justice. And y'all, justice was absolutely served in Esther. And so very congruent as we're seeing the praise that's going forth towards God and his justice. There's some of the congruent verses that we see. We read of how the enemies perish, that there's just judgment from the throne, that the enemy comes to an end, that the wicked are snared in the works of their own hands. Y'all, that's literally sounds like what we just read in Esther. So very, very congruent. So I love this plan and how it just ties all the scriptures in together. Obviously, Psalm chapter nine is not necessarily written specifically about what happened in Esther chapter six and seven, but it's the congruency of the themes of the overall message that's being shared. Now in Acts chapter 27, we read of the prisoners, including Paul, heading to Italy. They get in a ship, they're in the ship in a storm, and they are shipwrecked. Throughout this whole thing, Paul's faith is still so strong. They were out there with no food, struggling. Paul's faith, he still was trusting in God. He still was just like, God's going to do what he's going to do. Even to the point where God was giving Paul vision of how he would be saved and all the people on the boat with him would be saved too. And he straight up tells them, he's like, God's going to do this and we're all going to live because God said so. He's not complaining about being on a ship in a storm. He's not complaining about being shipwrecked. He's not complaining about even just still being a prisoner because he is still a prisoner but he just still just goes with God and y'all this is such a great example that we can always look at and and learn from for our own lives for day 343 which is December 9th we're reading is Esther chapter 8 through 10 and Acts chapter 28 so in Esther chapter 8, we read of the king granting the request and and the Jews are allowed to defend themselves now this was the request of Esther and that was because of how God used her and God gave her favor in order to save the Jews. And so they were allowed to defend themselves in case anyone came to attack them. Mordecai also receives favor too in this chapter. And so it's a beautiful chapter of just seeing how God moves and how God just always shows up for his people. 
in Esther chapter 9, we read of Jews conquering their enemies. And then we read of the Feast of the Memorial of Purim. Remember, that was like something I mentioned in the introduction. That's a feast that they still celebrate to this day. And um, the book of Esther is read at that feast to remember how God saved the, li the lives of the Jews through Esther. And so we're just seeing how God just straight up reverses things. That's what God does against the plans of the enemy, which we read here in chapter nine. And y'all, God, God cannot be stopped. He, he switched it around so much that the same people that were originally plotting for the Jews to be killed were now helping the Jews. Like the favor of God was just so evident. And that's how God operates. That is how God works. And we can apply that knowing that that applies to us too. We can believe that over our lives, that whatever the enemy plans against us, God will actually flip it in reverse and make it for our good because that's how he works. That's so encouraging. In Esther chapter 10, which is the final chapter in Esther, we read of Mordecai becoming great. He gets favor. He's promoted. And just, man, that's a great way to end the book. It's like... It's like a fairy tale, like a happy ever after ending. Like that's what we read here in the few short verses in Esther chapter 10. And that concludes the book of Esther. In Acts chapter 28, we read of the island of Malta. And then Paul shakes off a snake and there's healings on the island. So people looking at Paul crazy, they're assuming he's a god because he just shook off a snake. Like y'all, Paul is such a G. Like I can't emphasize enough how amazing this man is. And he was just still so determined to preach the gospel. He literally devoted his life to the gospel. Everywhere he went, he was so emphatic about sharing the gospel, sharing the good news, healing, laying hands, delivering, whatever needed to be done, he went for it. And that's such an amazing encouragement that we can apply to our own lives, that wherever we go, we should be looking for the lost souls, that we should be um, anticipating sharing the gospel, anticipating being the light in those situations. And I pray that we get to that point in our lives to where we will be so devoted to the cause. That ends the book of Acts too. And so that's just a great way to end both of the books in today's reading. And then last but not least, day 344, which is December 10th, the reading is Micah chapter 1 through 4, Psalm chapter 46, and Revelation chapter 1. So we have two new books that we're starting. So we're going to go ahead and give some introductions here. Let's give an introduction on Micah. So the name Micah means who is like Jehovah. And he actually does a play on words in his prophecies because in one of the chapters that we'll read in the next coming days, he actually writes, who is a God like unto thee? Who is a God like you? So it's, you know, it's very, uh, very clever, you know? <laughs> so his uh, prophecies are contemporary with Isaiah, which means they're around the same time and had similar messages that were shared. And uh, he also ministered in the southern kingdom. He prophesied to the southern kingdom, which is Judah. And he prophesied about the fall of Judah that would occur. And he even saw beyond um, just the attack of the Syrian. And he prophesied about when they would go captive into Babylon as well. So we're kind of going backwards a little bit. Remember, just because that they're in order in the Bible does not mean that they are in chronological order as far as the timeline goes. So as we read Micah, we're kind of backtracking. So it's like we're going back um, before Nehemiah. He has several messianic prophecies in his uh, in his time, messianic prophecies, meaning prophecies of the Messiah, Jesus. And so that is very, very important things that we will see here as we read through this book. He also calls out some of the social injustices, the immorality that was happening, the oppression of the poor. He calls out some of those areas as well.
So in Micah chapter 1, we read of the prophecy of judgment coming to Judah. And basically God is using Micah to show them that they are in a hopeless condition. Their sin has just brought them to an incurable place. And the only thing that will fix this will be judgment. Remember, God sent several various prophets to try to deliver the same message to give Israel time to get themselves together before judgment came. In chapter 2, we read of the judgment to those who oppress the poor. Remember, that was one of the things that he was going to address. And so um, even with the judgment, though, we still read of the promise of the remnant. We can see some of that in chapter 2. And um, we, we see hints of a messianic prophecy. If you look at chapter 2, verse 13, when it talks about the breaker or the opening of the breach, that's referring to Messiah. And so he's already kind of going for some of those messianic prophecies. In chapter 3, we read of the prophecy of the judgment against the leaders. Remember, time and time again, God uses, uh, God is specifically calling out the leaders who should not have led the people astray and who should have been the ones to enforce the true worship or, you know, keep them aligned, keep them going back to God, keep them, keep them focused and not forsaking God. But yet the leaders led them astray into everything else but God. So the leadership has just really affected God's people in a negative way. And then in chapter four of Micah, we read of the prophecy that the Lord will rule and Messiah will reign and we and there will be a return of Israel from captivity. And so this is referring to the messianic reign. He's given us some end time stuff. Yes, he prophesies of a time when there will be no war. And, you know, that's referring to when Jesus will be here as the prince of peace. And he just lets us know through this prophecy that God is in control and that the future is in his hands. And this prophecy really gives them hope. It gives them hope that Messiah will come and reign. But it also gives them a promise that they will return from captivity after judgment. So that's the first four chapters of Micah. Now for Psalm chapter 46, we read of God being present despite changes. And this is referring to future. If you read through Psalm chapter 46, we read of the futuristic things to come, the changes on earth, physical changes, and how God is present and all of that. So we're reading all of that here in Psalm chapter 46. And this Psalm makes a lot more sense once you understand that there will be physical changes happening in the end times um, on earth. And speaking of end times, we're going to start Revelation. Now, before we start this book, let me tell you all something real quick. Don't get scared. Don't get nervous. I know so many people are scared about Revelation and so they just don't read it. But then they're just scared about stuff that they don't know. Like people are like, I don't know, but I just know it's like some scary stuff happens. And so I'm just scared about end times. But why are you scared when you don't know what it says? You know, like, and I tell people this, there's nothing to be scared about because in the end we win. If we're on God's side, if we're obeying God, we're living for God. There's, there's nothing bad going to happen. Like we're good. I'm chilling, right? Like I should be scared if I'm not living for God. And that's what I tell people when people are talking about that they're scared about end times, I ask them why. And if there's, and if it's just because of like, oh, because of all the stuff that's going to happen, I'm like, that means that you need to really understand what's being told. Because if you read most of this, all the stuff that we're seeing, all the quote unquote, the bad stuff that's happening, it's for those who aren't in God, who aren't in Christ, who aren't raptured out, all this other stuff. So it's like, baby girl, we're going to be fine. But it's, and so now with this book, 
I'm going to give an introduction in a second, but um, this book is all about end times, right? It's all about things to come. And so with that, um, a lot of the things we may not see in this lifetime, we may. It may happen tomorrow. I don't know. Um, please don't listen to people who say they have it figured out because they don't. Uh, like literally the Bible says that no man knows the hour. No man knows. Now there's signs. There are things that we can see prophecies that are being fulfilled to let us know that we are getting closer and closer to the end times. Yes, but closer could be 2000 more years. Closer could be two more days. We don't know. And that like, once again, that's not to scare you. Just make sure you're living right and you're straight. You're good. Um, so with this book, this just allows us to give a glimpse of what is to come. There is a lot of things that are debated within this scripture. Let me be the first to tell you that um, a lot of this book is interpreted differently based on how you view the end times whether you believe the church will be raptured out or whether you believe we will go through tribulation that determines a lot of how you interpret the scriptures i will give a interpretation from my personal view i also will um let you know of different times when there are debates about certain like more things are more debated than normal the whole book of revelation is kind of debated to some degree but um there are times when certain scriptures are more debated highly debated i guess i should say and so i will take time to let you know what verses those are so that you can pray about it and and make your conclusion and y'all my ultimate thing that i'm going to say about this don't take this the wrong way but hear me when i say this at the end of the day what's going to happen is is what's going to happen there is no need for debates. There's no need for arguments. There's no need for losing friends, losing family on whether y'all have differing views about the end times. You'd have no control over it either way. <laughs> That's what I tell people when people want to argue. Are you pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, blah, 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 all this other stuff. I say, look, I, I got a view, but if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Like, there's things that I know I'm not wrong about. I know I'm not wrong about the Trinity. I know I'm not wrong about salvation. I know I'm not wrong about the Holy Spirit, right? Like that. So if, and I can go really deep with that, but there's certain, uh, I guess, levels to doctrine. And those things that I just mentioned, those are called primary doctrine. So that means that that's the stuff that's absolutely, you, you like, this is very, very, we have to agree on this. Um, some of the other stuff in times and all that, that's like tertiary doctrine. That means that it's like, it's important. It's part of doctrine, but it, it's not like make or break, get you in heaven type thing, right? So here's the thing. We're going to go through the book. I'm going to try to make it as simple as I can for you. We're not going to do this deep dive into every single word and every single, every single, um, I'm not going to paint pictures and of all the angels. I want you to understand what's happening and, and what most people believe. Okay. Um, if you have differing views, that's okay. Revelation is not one of the books that I'm going to argue about. Like <laughs> I'm not, I keep telling people this. I'm not because here's the thing. What's going to happen is what's going to happen. Now, if somebody wants to debate about whether Jesus is real, absolutely. If somebody wants to debate about the gospel, absolutely. Right. Because I know this to be true in times. This stuff hasn't even happened yet, y'all. And, and half of us, based on how I believe, half of us won't even be here, won't even be here when it is happening in the sense of like, we won't be here on earth to, to see all of it going down. So I have no control over it. God's going to do what he's going to do. I'm just going to tell y'all what the book says. I'm going to tell you about the vision that he gave to John to write this thing. And we're going to understand this book. Got it? Cool. All right. So now let's read the introduction for Revelation chapter one. So the author of this book is John. God gives a revelation to John about the end times. And basically this book is an uncovering or unveiling of the glory of 
of Christ to come, future events that are to come. One thing I want to point out, notice the book title. It is Revelation, not Revelations. Everyone always wants to put an S at the end. God gave John one revelation about several events, but it was all one big revelation. So the book is called Revelation. Just thought I wanted to put that out there because I know somebody listening was like, girl, what? I've been saying revelations my whole life. I know, girl. It's okay. So one thing I do want to address about this, there are several interpretations, like I mentioned, of the book of Revelation. There are four basically common ones. The first view is known as the preterist view, and it basically means that all everything that you're reading already happened in the past. It's very unlikely that this view is correct because of just the prophetic nature of the book and all the things that are to come. Literally, we read about that, of how God says these are things that are to come. But um, some people, that is a view that they have. Second view is called the future historical view, which means that this book that we're reading is from way back when all the way to the second coming of Christ. So there's a mixture of things that have occurred and things that haven't. Once again, not a very popular or sustained view of perspective. The third view is the symbolic or allegorical view. That means that people that believe this thinks is saying that everything here is just one big allegory, kind of like you're just reading Chronicles of Narnia, like none of this stuff is actually going to happen, but it's just symbolic of the forces of good and evil and how Jesus wins in the end kind of thing. Um, and then the last one is the, more, the most common view. Um, I will, full disclaimer, this is my view as well. Um, but the fourth view is called the futuristic view. And that basically says that from chapter four of Revelation on through the entire rest of the book, Revelation deals with end time events, things that have not yet occurred. And this includes the second coming of Christ and other matters as well. So you got four views. Like I said, the most common one is the futuristic. That is also my view, not just because it's the most common, but it makes the most sense to me and it everything lines up the most there. I will say that, you know, like this is one of the things that I'm okay with being wrong on. I'm teaching what I believe is best and what I believe I know is the most correct thing. But y'all, like I said, what's going to happen is what's going to happen. Okay. <laughs> so don't be losing friends just because you believe the church is going to be raptured out and somebody else doesn't. It's not worth it. I promise. If y'all both believe in Jesus, amen. Praise the Lord. You may die before any of it happens. So it's okay. <laughs> and I know that sounds like really negative. Like, oh my gosh, why is she so morbid? But it's true. Like some people really will argue tooth and nail about stuff that one, they have no control over. And two, they may not even be around to even have to experience. So just FYI. And I and I believe that that's a healthy perspective as we go into books like this. But just in the Bible in general, there should always be the element of I, I'm okay if I am wrong to some degree. Like I said, there's certain things that I know and I'm not backing down from. I'm, I'm not wrong about Jesus. I'm not wrong about the gospel. But um, there are things that... Um, you know, like, like back and forth, little things like if you want, like, you know how some people have the whole denominations about like, cut your hair, don't cut your hair, head covering, no head covering, right? Like, I'm okay if I'm wrong about one of those things. But there, there are there has to be that humility that's there to know that, hey, we don't we may not have this all figured out. And that's because we're not God. So just keep that in mind as we're going through this. But for today's reading, we have chapter one. And in chapter one, it gives us introduction of what's happening. And so this is showing us that God is giving revelation to Jesus through his angel. It's going to be, it's addressed to the seven churches. And so John writes this and he's addressing this to the seven churches, the churches of Asia Minor. 
We'll talk about that more as we continue on. And it just shows us that John is on this island of Patmos. He's all by himself. God has taken him into the spirit. The best, easiest way I like to describe it is that God teleported John into to be able to see all the stuff that he needed to see to be able to write Revelation. Um, one thing to note, a lot of the things that when it says anything about soon, soon is relative, soon is subjective. We do not know when soon is, only the Lord does. Amen. Amen. So John gets this vision from God and now he's going to write about what the vision means. In this vision, he sees the son of man and he's instructed to write down things that he has just seen in this vision. And so then we will continue to see more and more and more about what he uh, we will continue to read more and more about what he saw. So John chapter one is laying the foundation, letting you know John has a vision. John gets revelation from God about end times and we get to read about it. So that is a great way to end this week's reading. We're talking about the God who can't be stopped. We see how he shows up on behalf of the Jews, how he shows up on behalf of Paul. And we're going to see he can't be stopped even as we go through Revelation because he, he's just that guy. Like he's he's God. Like period. He's He can't be stopped. His word can't be stopped or thwarted or changed or destroyed. His promise, his covenant, none of that can be stopped no matter what the enemy throws and what the enemy tries to do so let that be an encouragement for you too that if god's on your side you also can't be stopped the purpose that god has on your life can't be stopped the call and the assignment on your life can't be stopped so trust god go with him and he will go with you thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode if you have not already make sure you follow us on facebook and instagram at christian girls pop on our website at christiangirlspop.com and on youtube at christian girls pop make sure you check out our ebook scripture made simple get your copy copies are available today so make sure you get your copy and if you would like to donate to this ministry you can donate on venmo at christian girls pop on cash app at dollar sign christian girls pop and on paypal using the email address cgpopdonate at gmail.com cgpopdonate at gmail.com Thanks so much for tuning in. And as always, remember, Jesus already loves you so much. Don't you ever forget that.